0: I remember picking up the phone, just like any normal conversation having with Lindsay, and first words coming out of her mouth were they think there's something wrong with Joel's heart. I could hear the, the trembling in Lindsay's voice as she was she said those words, and I know my heart dropped. And I uh, began to ask her questions, what was going on. She said that the doctors had um, did an x-ray and that actually all three of the doctors in the office had come and listened to him, and that our doctor had thought that something was wrong. So I remember telling her on the phone, listen, stay right there. I'm going to be there. I dropped everything I did. I told Pastor Baba and our staff that I was leaving and just to be praying, and I took off to doctor's office rushing in and them pointing to where Lindsay was. And I walked into the door, and Lindsay's holding Joel. And um, our doctor walking in and, and saying, We um, think something's with his heart. Uh, we're not exactly sure what exactly it is, but um, from the x rays, we see something is, is wrong. And I just got off the phone with a pediatric cardiologist and she's driving from New Orleans right now to meet you guys in Lake Charles and you need to take off and go to Lake Charles uh, immediately.
1: You know, those emotions started coming and you you, you always think, it's not, okay, it's not gonna be anything serious. You know, it's probably nothing big, but yet, you know, the thoughts in the back of your mind, but still being afraid, but yet not wanting to let those, I didn't, at that point, didn't wanna be overcome by emotions. So at that point, I didn't break down crying. It was just like, okay, I don't, we don't know so let's yeah. just keep going from there.
0: We walked out of the doctor's office and the first person we see is Miss Tracy. She's right there in the uh, in the office waiting on us, uh, trying to find out what's going on, and, and so we actually rushed home. She followed us, and uh, we gave her a key to our house, and she said, you know, don't worry about the boys, we're gonna take care of this, you guys go, and we threw some clothes in a bag. I'm not a
1: fast packer, so. No, nope, not at all, so a we, bag. we threw
0: yeah. some clothes, and stuff in the bag, not really knowing what was going to happen, but uh, took off to Lake Charles. I remember a verse that God had given us the week before. The week before, we had actually, were doing family devotions. It was the week before New Year's, and we're doing family devotions with our entire family. And, and God had given us a verse out of Psalm 62 uh, that talks about us trusting in the Lord at all times and how we will not be shaken because He's our refuge and He's our fortress and He's our salvation. And uh, I remember looking at Lindsay and going, you remember the verse that God gave us? He, he told us that that uh, he would be our refuge and that for us to trust him.
1: No previous hospital experience at all. Now we're in ER with our son, unknowns, Start hooking up some monitors that we weren't really familiar with. And...
0: So we had our cardiologist assistant walk in and do an echo on Joel's heart, um, which is pretty much just an ultrasound of the heart to see how it's functioning. And he did that for about 20 minutes and then he left. And about five or 10 minutes later, the ER doctor walks in to the room and uh, he just says, uh, your son has congestive heart failure. I don't really know much about it other than uh, that your cardiologist is on her way and she'll talk to you more about it.
1: And, and it's rare.
0: And he walks out the door. I was on one side of the room and Lindsay was sitting down on the other side of the room and Joel was asleep when this went on we both just broke at that moment lindsay just literally her hands were in her head was in her hands just crying and uh, so i walked over there and we were hugging and crying together yeah. um
1: for me it felt like the floor like there was no floor it felt like i had no breath it was just like literally like everything knocked out of you
0: and i, I just remember calling my brother and him crying on the other phone with me calling zach calling Pasha bubba calling Um, my mom and each one of these people just praying with us um, speaking life over our son speaking encouragement into us we met with our cardiologist finally that night um, and she finally told us exactly what was happening and diagnosed him with pulmonary hypertension the blood vessels in his lungs were constricting and not allowing blood to flow to his lungs and uh, since that's not happening the right side of your heart which tries to pump blood to your lungs uh, pumps harder and harder and so his heart um, was about three times larger on his right side than it should have been later that afternoon my mom finally got there she rushed in to see me and handed me a card and said this is from your grandmother and if anybody knows my grandmother she is uh, she's a firecracker she loves the Lord and prays for for me constantly and for our family and when she found out what happened uh, she wrote a scripture on a card and gave it to my mom and I looked at the card that my mom gave it to me and it was Psalms 11817 and she wrote Joel shall not die but he shall live and declare the works of the Lord and it meant a lot to me
1: that first night in the hospital I remember going to Josh and saying um, I think we need to let people know kind of what's going on where we're at because we're, we're starting to get out and we didn't want people having the wrong information or not, you know, or just think different things getting out that wasn't going on. And it was hard because you don't want to say it, but yet you know you need to. And then you want to be private, but yet you need to be public. And I think us come to the conclusion that by us actually letting people know they can pray, the biggest thing is that we can have people praying and standing behind us.
0: We have core values as a family. And I think two of our core values as a family really helped us kind of make this decision that we were going to go public about it was one core value is that we're going to trust scripture deeply. And then secondly, that we're going to love Jesus openly. And, and so I think the greatest way that we could show people that God is still good was in the midst of a very tragic situation. And I just, I don't like the fact that a lot of people hide or keep quiet to themselves when things are going bad. I think that's the greatest time for the gospel to be made known. I think it's the greatest time for Jesus to get the most glory. So we posted the first night really what was going on, gave an update, and then from there on it was just overwhelming. The amount of people who um, responded to that and said, we're praying for you, we're supporting you, just um, either sharing our statuses or asking other people to pray for us or Um, inboxing us and and sending us scriptures. So after two days in Lake Charles uh, and getting him stabilized, the doctors came in and recommended to us that we get him to a specialty hospital with physicians and doctors who specialized in uh, hypertension and in the heart and doing some tests there. And so uh, we found out about Children's in New Orleans uh, or auctioners in New Orleans. and even us making that decision there was really God intervening on our behalf to get us to children's. And uh, we ended up deciding on going to children's and um, found out that they were going to bring a helicopter over. And the, the hard thing with that though was we found out that he would have to go by himself.
1: At that point, at that point, that was the hardest thing I'd ever have to do is to leave my son in the care of someone else in such critical condition alone. Um, so watch, watching him leave was, was pretty scary, but knowing that Josh was going to be there already when he got there was comforting.
0: And then once we got to New Orleans, um, it was just a whole nother ball game. And we would end up spending 26 days in New Orleans. And we had some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows in those 26 days. Um, but I remember reading scripture about Paul saying rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice and I remember preaching this scripture about how Paul was in prison when he wrote these things and I always wondered how in the world could a man who's been beaten and in prison write a verse that talks about rejoicing in the Lord when really there was nothing in his life that was worth rejoicing but I do understand why he could say that because of the fact that he, he knew where his trust was. He knew that God was in control. And for us, that was what we had to walk through. In a couple of days of us being in New Orleans, we found out he had influenza 3 um, which was more of like a respiratory virus and found out that the heart catheterization test that they were gonna do on him now was gonna be postponed for 10 to 12 days. And I think one of the hardships for us as a parent, and any parent understands this, is when you see your child in excruciating pain and you see people inflicting pain on him um, that is that is hard and I don't wish that on anybody to have to stand there and to whisper in your son's ear constantly it's going to be okay you're strong Uh, God's with us it's all right. don't be afraid Um, but just seeing them have to draw blood three to four to five times a day because they were running so many tests on him to try to find out exactly what was the cause of all this and they weren't finding a cause at all and then on top of that, the um, being in an ICU and, and not really getting sleep and being physically exhausted and emotionally exhausted, and um, us being separated and, and, I mean, it was rough.
1: We only allowed one parent to sleep, so we would take turns being there. So we were never together. Yeah. Um, you couldn't eat in there, so meals would be separate. Different things would trigger, like, I remember calling Miss Tracy about, she was trying to find some of Judah's clothes or size, and I was like, oh, they should be in Joel's room. And I'd be like, okay, hold on a second, I'd like have to compose myself because I thought, like, here I am in the hospital with my son. Joel should be in his room at home, you know, Joel should be there. If I'd see the chopper, it would just flood, like, emotions back in me, and I'd want to just cry.
0: After a couple of weeks and we finally were able to do the heart cath and really just trusting that this would be kind of the, the, the test that would show us what the answer was, what the, or actually what the cause was, so we could, we could fix it, uh, and then having the doctor walk out and say, hey, I need to meet with you guys in private, and then pull us off aside and, and say, it's worse than we thought. I'm sorry, I have to tell you this. Um, yeah, and and then begin to use words like rare and serious and critical a lot of times in his conversation with us. So every time during those 26 days, we really felt like we got punched in the gut and we they would bring bad news. Just continually running back to a couple of things that really helped us during this time. Um, we realized the power of God's word during this time. Um, every time they would say something like that, I, I just remember every night and every morning we would wake up and there would just be something in God's Word that He would um, tell us. It was just a truth that would just um, really ground us back into uh, to Him and to trust Him. And then the power of uh, worship. Uh, I think worship for us was such a huge deal because you would hear this, um, this incredible, terrible news of what they're saying over joel and then I, I just remember and i know for Lindsay, she would do this too we just i would get in the car to drive back to my father-in-law's house and i would just blast worship music and uh, a friend of ours had given us a cd and there was just songs on it, it just seemed like every song that we, they were singing was just uh, just words that god was speaking yeah, to us and life, it was
1: just, god is sovereign yeah he's um, good
0: and that he's with us and And so every time that would happen and you would want to go into this mode of discouragement and mode of fear, which that was all there, it was just like the Spirit of God would just come in and do an incredible work in our soul and just kind of encourage us and strengthen us. And just the power of prayer for us was huge. We learned so much uh, during this time about how God responds to prayer. We know today that He is uh, a product of prayer. We're a product of prayer of being able to walk through a lot of this. And then also, I think, the power of community, um, realizing that we're not in this alone. We knew that God was with us. Um, I think that's a truth that everybody kind of understands. But to know that people are with you. Our community of faith, our, our church family, our spiritual family, our natural family um, were blessings and, and incredible sources of strength from watching our boys to taking care of things at home.
1: My dad lived five miles down the road, so we stayed there every other night. Being able to stay there, us invading his house for a month, he would wash our clothes. Like To have a night, a good night's sleep every other night was uh, monumental in what we were dealing with, the stress.
0: The last day, kind of the last couple days in New Orleans, we found out um, that Joel was diagnosed with PPH, which is primary pulmonary hypertension. Doing the research on that, we found out that that is a very rare disease. So rare that it's in one in every million people. In a sense, it was comical to me because it just showed the humor of God to go, okay, then we're really going to see God do something here. He has three options. He can be on medicine for life, he can get a lung transplant, um, or he needs a miracle. But, of course, the doctors didn't give us a third option. We just added that one, and that's the one that we continue belief for even today is that he will get a miracle, we'll have to go through all of these things. And so from there, our our cardiologist and pulmonologist there said, you know what, listen, we don't do any more. We can't do any more for him, so you guys need to go even to a more specialized center. So we found out about um, Children's Hospital in Houston, Um, which has the only pulmonary hypertension program in Texas. Two days, um, we got accepted to go to Children's in uh, in Houston. Within seven days, Joel was responding to a new form of medication. They changed a lot of things, and um, he was doing really well. And we were starting to do physical therapy uh, to get his leg strength back, and uh, he just had a full... Uh, 180. I mean, God just was answering prayers like he always has from the beginning, and uh, we went from having to be on a lung transplant list to going, no, you, we're going to try to get you guys home. When
1: I said home, the next day they said home, we're going to get you home. I was like, wait, what, what did you say? <laughs> that
0: leads to where we are today, which is um,
1: finally home.
0: <laughs> home and excited to be home, and he goes and does testing throughout the week, and we go back to uh, the hospital every other week for testing and uh, but it's just, work. it's good to be home.
1: We currently do not know what the future holds for, um, for Joel, but we do know who holds the future and we know that God is sovereign and we know he formed his inward parts and he made him and he created him and um, whatever uh, the outcome, we do know that we trust him.
0: And I think that's been from day one for us is knowing the truth that God is good and that everything that we go through is for our good and for God's glory. And if we can walk through this and people can know Jesus, then we count it the greatest honor and the greatest privilege to be able to walk through this with our son and as a family and to be able to show people who don't know Jesus that he is more than enough and that he is good. We stand on Psalm 62. We will trust in him at all times. He is our refuge. He is our hope and we will not be shaken. Um, First off, let let me just say this before I I share God's word this morning. Glad to be here. And uh, I thank God daily for uh, knowing the people that we needed in our lives before we face this. I'm so thankful for Pastor Bubba and Ms. Tracy. Pastor Bubba is. He calls every day, whether you want him to or not. And there has been many times, and I will confess, I just hit ignore. And then 10 minutes later, he calls me again. And, uh, I'm just appreciative of people who you say, no, we're doing good. And then they press in and go, no, it's not good enough. Um, and just the overwhelming support we've gotten from this, this church and from so many people outside of our church, but uh, Lindsay and I are, are extremely grateful for, uh, for you standing with us. We know that Joel is alive, not just because of our faith or anything that's special with us, but because so many people pray. And... Um, and I said, Dad, I just want to say thank you. Give the Lord worship and praise for what he's done. Just uh, watching that video and remembering what we've gone through and what we've walked through. You can sit down. God's just been so good. And uh, I hope I would say that even if the outcome was different. He's just been so good. He's been so good. And so um, I told Pastor Bobby this morning, and let me just say this. Uh, whew, uh, he called me this morning, and he just wanted you to know he's praying for you. He preached already a couple of times this morning. He's doing great. And I told him this morning, he said, man of God, you ready? I said, this is the message that I've prepared the longest for. Two and a half months worth. <laughs> and he looked at all right he didn't look at me, he said on the phone, he said, well, you didn't want to prepare that long. I said, no, I did not. <clears throat> but um, I journaled a lot during our time uh, in the 41 or 42 days we're in the hospital. And so the message that I'm going to bring to you today is, um, is the overflow out of that, out of what really God... Um, helped Lindsay and I through, and, uh, and I hope it's encouraging to you as, um, as we look at God's goodness and His faithfulness, and we're going to look at two passages today, um, but before we begin, can we just, can we pray? And uh, I just, I really want the Holy Spirit to do what He wants to do here, and I, I do not want to get in the way of that. So, Father, we come to you today, and uh, we, just, we thank you yet again for life. God, there's just so many things that we take for granted. I know I take for granted all the time, and uh, it's not until those things are close to being lost, or maybe even for some here have been lost, and um, we just struggle. We, we hurt, and we are in pain, and... Um, I know that today, represented in this house, there are so many people that are going through things, and they're hurting, and they're in pain, and they have so much uncertainty before them, and Holy Spirit, I pray that this this truth that we hear today, that it would uh, be grounded in our hearts. And God, my prayer is that what happens today would not go in one ear and go out the other, but God, that it would take root and take heart in these people. I pray, God, that this would build the faith of the body. Lord, a community of faith. God, that our faith as a church would be would be built up and be strengthened as we hear your word today. God, I pray, Lord, that we'll just share the things that you want to share. And uh, Holy Spirit, will you do what you do best, and uh, would you minister to these people today, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Amen. Thank you. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 6, and then hold your fingers there, and you can go to uh, John chapter 11, Luke chapter 6. And then we're going to go to John chapter 11. If you have your notes, it should be in your notes as well. And then for those who maybe just didn't came and you just popped in didn't have a Bible or whatever, we're going to put it on the screen as well, and I'll read it along with you. But it says this, Luke chapter 6, we're going to go to verse 46. Let me put that up there. There we go. I'm just going to read off the screen with you guys. It says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I'll show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to underline that. He dug deep and he laid the foundation on the rock and when a flood arose, the streams broke against that house and could you say those four words with me? And it could not could not shake it. Because it had been built well built. But the man who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. And when the streams broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Go back to the other one real quick. What we have here is we have a story of two men. The Bible calls one wise, and the Bible calls the other one foolish. You can see it actually in other Gospels. The Bible talks about also that there is... um, there's wisdom in one man because of the way that he built, and there's foolishness in another because of the way that he built. And the title of this message today is called Unshaken. As you can tell, Psalm 62 was a huge thing for us as we uh, navigated through the the six weeks of of uncertainty. Uh, that was a big deal for us, and 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 it says specifically in there, "We will not be shaken." This passage also says it could not shake it. So the question that I want to answer today is how do we live a life that's unshaken? How do you do that? Um, you know, I just bought a watch actually while I was in the hospital. Uh, I, I, my watches keep breaking all the time and so I just went to Target and found the cheapest watch that I could and I found a little Iron Man watch and on the watch it says, um, it says that it's water resistant. Um, and The thing about being a water-resistant watch is I was looking and seeing if they actually had a water-free watch, but they don't have those. They have water-resistant watches, but they don't have water-free. Meaning that whenever this thing is going to touch water, it's not going to stop. It's going to keep going. They don't make water-free watches because uh, when you touch it with water, it stops. And there are watches that are like that, but I bought a watch that was water-resistant, which means that I could pretty much go jump in the pool, could do anything, and, and, uh, it, and it would be okay. And I, I correlate that to where we are as Christians because Jesus doesn't promise a storm-free life. He just promises a storm-proof one. The fallacy that we believe in as Christians is that when we give our lives to the Lord and that when we put our full trust in Him, that we will now be storm-free. There will be nothing that comes my way. There will be nothing that will that I'll go through. It should be, life should be just, I should be blessed and healed and wealthy and and all these things. And unfortunately, the Bible does talk about those things and that we are to be blessed and that there's wealth and and God desires us to to be healed, but he does not promise that we would not face storms. He just promises that he will be with us when the storms come. And when you look at this passage, I just want to take two things and then we're going to jump over to actually John 11. But I want to just, I I just want to kind of share with you two thoughts that I have from this passage. First off is this, is that storms are inevitable. Storms are inevitable. If you have not experienced a storm, you will. And if you're not in one right now, you will soon. And, and. For us to think that somehow as Christians that we will not face storms anymore is the greatest lie that the enemy has deceived to tell you that you will not face storms. And so what we think is if we just love Jesus, we're not going to face storm. And when a storm comes, guess what? We start questioning who? God. God, I've been to church and I tithe and I love you and I do all these things. And what's going on? But the truth is, is that this story says that there's a storm and the wise man and the foolish man both faced him. They both faced them. So we know that storms are inevitable. The other thing that we know is that storms are unexpected. How many know most of the storms you probably faced in your life that just rocked you were unexpected, right? I don't know if you know this. Uh, this just this past week, uh, on my street, there was a double homicide. Five houses down from my street, two, a husband and a wife, were shot to death. Uh, that was probably unexpected. I just got a text yesterday from a good friend of mine. Um, his grandmother passed away. Unexpected. Two days before that, I got another text from uh, uh, another friend of Lindsay and ours, and she said that she went to the doctor for an MRI and they found a growth on her frontal lobe. And if we could be praying for her, it's unexpected. Past two years with Pastor Bubba facing cancer twice, it's unexpected. You go to the doctor and you get news that you didn't think that was going to happen. And a lot of times these storms, we don't have a Doppler radar where we get to see them coming from 20 miles out. They usually just hit immediately. And it, and it kind of shakes you. It rattles you, doesn't it? Lindsay and I got a chance to meet a really uh, a, a, an amazing couple when we were in Houston. Um, that their son uh, has a heart disorder where his heart is backwards backwards, and they're going to face probably two heart surgeries uh, this year for their son. Uh, we On our way out, you know, when you think that you've suffered so much, on our way out, the last day that we were there, Lindsay and I were doing some physical training with Joel, walking him around, and we met a, a, a young lady that was there with her son, and uh, as Lindsay was talking with her, she found out that her son had been in there for a year. Six weeks is nothing to a year. And it was just unexpected. There's these just things that happen. And in our lives, there's just things that are unexpected, right? My grandfather passing away in a massive heart attack. And I don't know what storm has come your way. Maybe it's a storm of death. Maybe it's a storm of disease. Maybe it's a storm of divorce. Maybe it's a storm of debt. But I think if we all sat in here and begin to share our stories, we would all say that there's times in our lives, and you may be facing on right now, where there's some uncertainty, and there's a storm that came that just kind of shook you. And so the question then becomes, how do we stand in the midst of that? How do we stand when our marriage is falling apart, when our kids are rebelling? How do we stand whenever our finances are absolutely a train wreck? And how do we stand whenever our, our child gets diagnosed with something? And how do we stand whenever, how do you do that? 1 Corinthians 3.11 talks about this. It talks about the foundation. The story of this is that that the foundation of the man who could not be shaken was because he built his house on a foundation. So what is that foundation? That foundation is, according to 1 Corinthians 3.11, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is what? Come on, which is what? Jesus Jesus Christ. And the thing that I've learned more and more, I think, even over the past couple of months, is that whether people stand or fall depends more on the foundation than it does on the intensity of the storm. I'll say it again. Okay, so whether people fall or stand has a lot more to do with the foundation than the intensity of the storm. See, most people think, well, it's just a cough or a cold, I can get through it, and most of us do. We we don't really trust God too much for a cough. We don't trust God too much for whatever else, but when something unexpected and something tragic, your son is killed, something happens, there's, there's something that's there, that reveals a lot more about our foundation than the storm itself. It reveals what we've built our life on. Tragedy and pain and suffering reveals more about what we put our trust in than anything else. Because you can stand here and say that you love Jesus all day long while it's good, but will you stand and say that when it's bad? It's easy to say we trust God when our bank account is full. But do you trust God when your bank account is not? See, our foundation is so crucial. And if Jesus is the foundation, if he is the center, if he is the core of who we are, we cannot be shaken. So what I'm going to do in this last segment of my message, I want to share with you um, some truths that Lindsay and I grounded ourselves in in these past really six to eight weeks and, and what we continue to to come back to even as we journey in this with Joel. And let me just say this on the front end. I will not stand up here and tell you why things happen. Any man who tries to come up here and explain why God does what he does, <laughs> good luck. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And for us to stand here and to declare, hey, this is why this is going on, and this is why this, and this is why this, I think, I don't know if I can do this. But this is what I will do today. I won't be able to explain to you why, but I will tell you who. I will tell you who. And we still have not gotten explanation as to why we are going through this, and I don't know if God ever will. But we do know who. And these core, deep, foundational truths describe this who. We know that to be Jesus. So let me share with you these four deep, I call them deep, unshakable truths. If you want to stand unshaken, this is what you need to know. Number one, Jesus is love. Jesus is love. Jesus is love. Let's go to John chapter 11. We're going to catch up a story um, that, um, that I like. It's the story of Lazarus. You know the story of Lazarus? Let's, let's read a couple verses, and then we'll come into this. So it says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love. come on love is ill. Let's go to the next one. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that, the, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus, what did he do? He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus is love. Um, way before this all came about, Joel and I have a bed routine, bedtime routine. So every time I put Joel to bed, he, uh, Lindsay just started this thing where she scratches their back. I don't know why she did that, but it is now. We have to do it all the time. Yes. So Jude is like, scratch my back and sing to me. Scratch my back and sing to me. So now Joel, of course, scratch my back and sing to me. <laughs> so Joel and I have this thing, and he will not, I cannot sing any other song. The only song he likes for me to sing is, so I'll ask him, Joel, Joel, what do you want to do? Okay, scratch my back. Okay, what do you want to sing? Sing whatever you want. What do you want to sing? Jesus loves me. What are you gonna sing? Jesus loves me. So the song goes for those who maybe have been far away from Christ and don't know anything. It goes like this: <laughs> Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to Him belong. They are weak, but He is. So two weeks into the hospital visit, I'm laying at Joel's bed. Lindsay's gone to her dad's, and I'm laying there, and he's just not doing well. And I start singing, Jesus loves me. And as I'm singing this, it's connecting. So I'm going, Jesus loves me. Jesus loves you. This we know. For the Bible tells you so, little ones to him belong. They are what? They're weak. But guess what? And I cried and cried and cried because I realized that it was not a a song for my son, it was a song for me. Because we are his children. And he absolutely loves me. And it's okay to be weak. Because he's strong. And here we are. We have a man named Lazarus who is one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus absolutely loves him. And I think it is no coincidence that in this passage that the John, the author, writes how many times... It, if you go read how many times he says Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Martha. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved Mary. And then notice how they appeal to Jesus whenever their, their brother is sick. What do they say? Lord, he whom you love. What is the first thing that we deal with whenever we fight crisis and suffering? What's the first doubt that the enemy wants to put in our mind? He must not love me. I must have done something. What did I do to deserve this? Undoubtedly, I've fallen out of love. And God has fallen out of love with me. And so he's punishing me for these things that I've done. And the truth is is that Jesus loves you. And you don't need to look at Jesus' love based off of your circumstances. You need to look at your circumstances based off of Jesus' love. He absolutely loves you. More than you know. The Bible is good news because it says that even yet while we were still sinners, that Christ died for us, that God showed his love to us. So this, this, this trick that the enemy likes to play, that when we're good and we're doing great, that Jesus loves us, that is so contrary to the Bible. The Bible says that when you're the worst, he loves you the most. So we have to understand that Jesus loves us. And if Jesus loves me, then whatever comes into my life, was it out of love or hate? Uh, That's a question. If Jesus loves you, whatever comes into your life, was it out of love or hate? Love. Love. And if Jesus loves you, then everything that happens in your life is for your good and His glory. I'm serious. Some of that, that needs to sink into you. You need to understand that everything that happens in my life, that is one of the hardest statements to say because I know some of you have gone through some of the worst pains ever. But everything that happens in your life is because God loves you and it's for your good. So we have to come to the terms with the first truth is that Jesus is love. Second one is that Jesus is in control. Let's go read verses 4 through 6. It says, let's go back to that verse 4. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, so he got the letter. He knows that his person that he loves the most is sick, and this is what he says. It says, but when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not lead to death. It is for the what? Glory. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. (laughs) See, here's the deal about this passage is that we actually, the, the author, God gives us a sneak peek into why he stayed. He said ultimately that the reason that he's going to let Lazarus die is for the glory of God. Now, I wish that God would do that with us, but I'll be honest with you. Most of the time, Jesus does not give you whys. He does not give you answers. We don't get a sneak peek right before it happens. We just go through it. And uh, for us... The questions that would come as we're facing this with Joel is you you start asking these questions and you don't want to verbalize them, but you know that they're there. And the question is, is why is this happening to us? And then why are our prayers not being answered? Why are things delaying? Why are things taking so long? We would go in and pray and go, this is going to be it. And then they would come back and give us worse news. We go in and we'd pray and pray and people would pray and then it would be worse news. And I didn't get a thing before this that said, this is what's going to happen with Joel. And hey, just I want to prep you for what's going to happen here because in two weeks. See, Lindsay said at that moment, the hardest thing that she ever faced was putting Joel on a plane by herself. What she didn't know was that in a week or two later, it would even be worse because our son was almost dead. And she would call me and say, tonight was the worst night of my life. She didn't know that at the helicopter part. That's why she was saying at this moment, at the moment of the helicopter, that was the worst part. But we went into a lot darker days. And in all that, when you're, when you're going through a darkness and you don't see any light, I believe that most of the time we're not given an explanation, but we're given a revelation. We're not given an explanation of why. We're given a revelation of who. That Jesus is there in the dark with us. He's there. He is, he's with us. And that Jesus is in control. God is bigger than the storms that we face. There, there is a passage in Romans chapter 8, and this is one of the most familiar passages and probably one of the most uh, uh, shared passages to people who are going through something really, really hard. And the context of this is that Paul is writing to the Romans and letting them know that God is with them and that God is good because what's happening is they are under severe persecution From the Roman Emperor Nero. People dying. Kids being slain. Things are happening. It's bad. And Paul writes to the Romans. And what does he say? He says, and we know that for those who love God. Say these next two words. All things things work together for what? For good. For those who are called according to his purpose. See, we do something in OSC Kids called the Big God Story. We don't share stories just individually. We share the Big God Story. You know the Bible is not a bunch of just little stories. It's one big story. Do you understand that? It is one big story about a great God who we failed and we blew it. And this amazing God came down and he gave his life for us. And he lived in perfection. And he comes and he offers his life to us. And if we will... Take that life that we can have life in him and that he is redeeming and making all things new. That is the big God story. And, in, and for Lindsay and I, this little thing that we're going through is a part of the big God story. It's not the little story. It's the big God story. God takes our little stories and our little sufferings and all these things. Romans says that, that this uh, light momentary affliction And when I would begin to think about that in the hospital, light, this does not seem light. It seems huge. Momentary. This seems like a long time. Six weeks. But in the span of eternity this is light. In span of what Jesus has done for us, this is light. And it's momentary. It's momentary. We have to trust that God is in control. Could it be that God has given you a platform of suffering from which you can be a witness of his power and grace to those who are watching. Can I just be very honest with you? People are not impressed that you love Jesus when things are good. They can do that too, and they don't have to love Jesus. Do you know how easy it is to say that God is good? For me, it was so easy to say that God was good for 31 years because that's all God had ever been to me. So it was easy to stand up and go, God is good. And everybody in here that's ever suffered major major loss goes, but you don't know. And now I can stand, not knowing what the future holds, but yet, like Lindsay says, knowing who holds the future and say that God is good. He is good, and he is in control. Ruth Bell Graham wrote this. It was a book that I was reading. She said, I lay my whys before your cross in worship. My mind beyond all hope. My heart beyond all feelings. And I worship you. Realizing that in knowing you, I don't need a why. We don't need a why. We need a who. You don't need a why. You need a who. Third thing. Is that Jesus is here. Verse 14 says this. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake. This is crazy. I am glad that I wasn't there. So that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. They were grieving. Their brother had died. They were awake, coming and showing compassion and love to them. And listen to this. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, If you had what? If you had been here. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Lord, if you had been here. Mary and Martha were emotional. Mary and Martha were upset. And have full right to be. Jesus, who has the capability to heal and raise people from the, not, well, raising yet, but to heal people, they've seen him heal so many people. And this is somebody he absolutely loves, and he stays somewhere longer, they have perfect reason to be upset. Where were you? Like we love you and we've opened our house to you and when we needed you, you weren't there. And by reading this story, we find out a little bit that Jesus maybe physically was not there, but he was more there than they knew. (laughs) He was way more there than they knew. How many of you have ever said that? If only, if only you had been here. How many of you are haunted by that? If only. The if-onlys of your past. If only I wouldn't have married such and such. If only this would have happened. If only I would have stopped him. If only I would have... We all face these things from our past where we do these if-onlys. If only this had happened. If only this wouldn't have happened. If only I would have been there in time. If only I would have stayed a little bit later. I'm here to encourage you and say that when you're lost and you don't know where to go, he's with you as your guide. And when you are hurting and you feel alone, he is with you as your friend. And when you are sick, he is with you as a healer. David writes this in Psalms 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will what? I will fear no evil. For you are what? Come on, for you are what? You are with me. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is a picture of a man walking... In sheer darkness, but yet has no fear because he's holding on to the hand of the good shepherd. And the good shepherd always leads him well. And I will be very honest with you. I think for us, a lot of times, the sufferings that we go through, the reason God doesn't let up on them is because he wants us to depend more on him. So here's the question. If God was to heal him, and then I would go back to what I was doing before... Why would he want to do that? I remember hearing the stories of of guys that were in Korea that were uh, persecuted, and they were in uh, these prison cells, and they were beaten and tortured, and then they they didn't have any food, and they were in a dark, cold place, and they were there for, for years, and then they got out, and they went back home. And months after they had been back home, they got back together as a reunion, and the guys began to talk about how they longed to be back in that place. Because they said their relationship with God had never been as close as it had ever been than in that spot. My prayer is, and I'll just be honest with you, I don't want suffering to have to come my way for me to get dependent on Jesus. Anybody there? (laughs) Jesus, can I just be dependent on you without the suffering part? I really would like that. But sometimes God strips away things, and God allows things to come our way, so that way it'll strip us from all. Because listen, here's the point. He was dead. Where else were they going to go? He was done. He was dead. And yet Jesus was right there. He's here. God's chief concern in your suffering is that he wants to be with you. We don't need answers as much as we need God. We need his presence. And I love this because not only is God with you today, but guess what? He's with you already tomorrow. Here's one of the truths that I kept reminding myself in when we were going through uncertainty was Jesus is already there. Tomorrow, I don't know what's going to happen, but Jesus is already there. He's outside of time. You know, he doesn't like, it's not today and he's kind of waiting around for tomorrow. Like Jesus is there already. So can we just trust him that, one, he's in control and that he is there and then we don't have to worry? That's why it says to not be anxious about anything. Why don't we have to be anxious? Because Jesus is already there. (laughs) He's there. And he's here. And he's here with you. So if Jesus is with you, you can't be shaken. And last one, number four. I'm going to wrap it up. Jesus is victorious. Come on. Jesus is victorious. Let's look at 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So Martha's going, yeah, I know he'll rise again. When you come back and we all get resurrected, I know he's he's going, no, woman, listen. She's quick to talk. Stop it. Listen, I am the resurrection and the life. She's going, oh, I know one day he's going to be resurrected, and I know it's going to be great. And he's going, no, 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 I am the resurrection and the life. What? Like, I'm here. This is me. And whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Look at this. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never, what? Shall, come on, shall never die. die. Do you believe this? That's a question for us. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And I'm going to, I'll close with this. Our message as Christians is not that we don't suffer and die. How many know people who have absolutely were on fire for the Lord and died? How many of you have ever wondered why in the world that would happen? I had a grandfather that happened love the Lord. I was only 12 or 13 at the time and died. And I think, God, why didn't you let me have? He could have raised me. I could have, I could have avoided so much foolishness if I would have had my grandpa around me to help me and be here for me. But the truth of all that is, is that the, this word says that we do not die, that we live. If we are in Christ, we will never see die. And our message as Christians. It's not that we don't suffer and die. Our message is greater than that. Our message is that the grave is not the end. That's our message. Our message is that he is victorious. Our message is that he is defeated. Death, hell, and the grave. And he has bore every disease on his back. Our message today is that he is victorious and he is strong where you are weak. So it's okay to be weak. Talked to a good friend here at our church and I was telling him, I was like, I'm having a hard time because everybody keeps telling me to be strong. And I want to be weak. And when I read scripture, I see that it's okay. Because when I'm weak, he is strong. When I'm strong, then it's on my strength. But when I'm weak, it's on his strength. And when my son was weak, I would look at him and go, it's okay because Jesus loves you, this I know. For the Bible tells us so. Little ones to him belong. They are weak, but he is strong. And he is strong because he is victorious. And he is victorious. And so in that victory, he gives us life. And so we ground ourselves in the fact that if Jesus loves me, we can't be shaken. If Jesus is in control, we can't be shaken. If Jesus is with me, we can't be shaken. If Jesus defeated death, hell, and the grave, we cannot be shaken. What do we have to fear? Come on. And I wanted to say this in closing. There are some of you today, and I know how the enemy works, that you feel condemned because you have been shaken. When crisis came your way, you spoke things against God that you wish you could come back and say, oh, God, I don't know why I said that. You have doubted God. You've cursed God. You've had all those experiences. And I probably would have, too. And I have good news for you, if you have been shaken, that the Bible says that God makes all things new. And God takes our broken pieces of our life and he fixes them and he restores them. And if you are that foolish man who has built his house on no foundation, that it is not too late. The good news is that Jesus is calling you to come to him, to come to him. To come to Him, and if you come to Him, that He will be your foundation and He will be your rock, and from this day forward, you can stand against any storm that comes your way. And that is the good news of the gospel: is that not not that we are great, but that we're not so great, and He is. That we were dead and He's alive. That we're messed up and He's perfect. That we're weak and He's strong. That's the good news of the gospel. And listen. I I think that should be every hand in this place. You struggle with sin? That's okay. Jesus is more than enough. Come on, will you stand? We want to do this 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 morning. um, uh, Our uh, our worship team is going to lead us in a song. Um, called Sovereign. It was actually one of the greatest songs that that really Lindsay and I listened to on repeat, 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 repeat. So um, I told Zach, I definitely wanted to sing this at the end because it, it makes a declaration that we will trust in him. And so we want you to do this. But as they're playing this song, this is what I'd like to do. Listen, if you are going through something right now, maybe there's something uncertainty. Maybe there's something in your body and you need a healing. Maybe you don't know Jesus and you're saying, I want to know Jesus. I want to I live for him. I, I want to come and, and be unshaken. I want him to be the rock of my life. If that's you and you you want prayer, you want us to pray with you, just while this song is going, do not leave. Please do not leave unless you have to. But while this is going on, would you just come and just flood up here and we want to lay our hands on you. We want to pray with you. We want to believe with you that God is good and that God will see great things come out of whatever you're going through. So if it's sickness or disease or finances or your marriage is a wreck or you got things going on, come, come, come. Do not let pride get in your way. Come and let God minister to you today.